All righty. All righty. Mitch isn't lying, man. Hugging, hugging me is one of the most awkward things to do because I don't know if I should go high because my high, I'm hugging the air. Or if, <laughs> if I go low, that's your guys' high. And so it's just awkward. So I pretty much just do the side hug with people. I probably, I probably side hug some of you guys in the room, but side hug is easy. But um, man, I am, I am truly honored. I'm grateful to be up here. I can't believe they, they let the young pup come up here and, and, and say anything. Um, and so I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. There is, uh, they messed me up with the schedule. They were, they, were, they were telling me that I would have the youth one day and then the adults one day and then the youth the, the last day. But all I see is youth in the room. Am I right? I, all, I don't see no old folks. So I'm, I'm speaking to youth all three days. Youth, I see you in the back. All youth. I love that. I love that. Um, bringing greetings from, from, from Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio. There's something that we do out there. I graduated from Ohio State. There's something that we do out there that is pretty fun. Is there, there, A leader will be up there, and they'll yell out, OH. And the crowd will say, I-O, okay, we got some people in the Okay, I see you in the back. I see you in the back. But I hear, I hear that there's something similar to that out here. If, if I were to say M-I-Z, Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> did, did I lose half the crowd? Because I know we got some KU people in here. M- most of y'all ain't going to hear nothing the rest I say. Um, but no, man, I am, uh, I'm grateful to be up here. Um, I'm excited about what God is going to speak through me to you. I'm excited for this word. It's, I was telling Pastor James earlier, it's, it's kind of cool how um, the messages have been dovetailed. We didn't discuss how we're going to talk or what I'm talking about, what he's talking about, or Lee or Pastor Shelby, anybody. But God's word is able to connect that way. And so I'm excited. A preacher told a story at our church anniversary several months, several months ago, and he was imploring that there are some things that we as believers in Jesus Christ should just know. He, he told a story uh, of a man who went to a pet store to get his supplies for his animals. And, and sitting r- right up at the front door was a parrot. And so the man looked at the parrot and the parrot looked at the man and, and, and the parrot said, mm, mm, mm. you're ugly. You're ugly. And so this kind of surprised the man. Think about it. How, how would you feel if an animal called you ugly? How would you feel about that? And so, but the man went and got his supplies and, and paid for everything he wanted to buy. And as he was walking back towards the front door, the parrot was looking at him and, and the man was looking at the parrot and, and the parrot ruffled his feathers once again and said to the man, mm, 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 you're ugly. <laughs> so now the man is mad. This is the second time he's, he's been disrespected by the parrot. So he goes back and talks to the owner and is like, listen, man, I, I pay good money in here. I don't come in here to get joked at. I don't come in here to get made fun of or harassed. And, and your parrot up at the front of the door has a smart mouth. If he's not careful, my, my family and I will be having parrot fried rice tonight. <laughs> and so the owner says, I'm, I'm so, so sorry. I, I promise you it will, it will never happen again. And when you come back to the store, you will find that we are a store that loves the business of our loyal customers. So the man comes back a month later and he's going to buy his supplies and, and there is that parrot again at the front door. 
The man looks at the parrot and, and the parrot looks at the man, but the parrot doesn't say anything. And so the man goes and gets his supplies. And, and after he checks out, he is headed towards the door. He's looking at the parrot and, and the parrot is looking at the man. But again, the parrot didn't say a word. So the man proceeds to walk out of the door to his car, but he turns around and, and looks one last time at the parrot. And the parrot said, you know. <laughs> you, you already know. You already know. So I say that to say there are some things that we as believers in Jesus Christ should just know. We should just, they shouldn't have to be debated. They shouldn't have to be discussed. Job chapter 19, verse 25, he, he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. First John chapter five, verses 19 and 20, it says, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Philippians chapter four, verse 12, Paul says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And, and let me go ahead, Pastor Godfrey made me feel this big yesterday. He talked about, yeah, I, I didn't put any notes on the handout. I didn't give you any notes. We're going to turn in our Bible. And then I come and y'all got every note on, on the handout. Y'all don't have to do no work, but you made me feel that big last night, bro, but whatever. But, but the text I want to spend some time looking at this morning is, is Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where Paul says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And, and, and the, the title of the message or the talk or whatever you want to call it is just the mixing bowl of life the mixing bowl of life. There, there are some things that we should know, but the sad reality is that many of us live as if we don't know. Romans 8.28 is one of my favorite verses within uh, my favorite chapters in the Bible, and I believe there's so much richness within the words that Paul spoke in this chapter. This is a verse. Romans 8.28 is a verse that you are going to need at some point in your life. It's it said that we are all in one of three places. We are either on our way into a storm, we are in the middle of a storm, or we're on our way out of a storm. And so this is one of those verses that you have to hide deep down in your heart and match the circumstances and or situations of your life up against it. And so your first blanket is Romans 8.28 for the child of God is one of the greatest promises in the Bible because it is unconditional. It's unconditional. This promise doesn't come upon us as a reward for whether or not we live right. The, the promise is that all things are going to work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the, who are the called according to his purpose, period. And so let's be honest. Let's be honest. Sometimes when we, when we go through the things that we go through, it's difficult for us to see how things will work together for our good. We, we know God is good. We know God is good. We know that. But sometimes it is tough to see how he will work certain situations together for our good. 
You see, in, in, in our humanness, we want to be assured that, that we will come out on the side of victory when trouble comes our way. I mean, think about what has been instilled in us since, since an early age. Everyone loves a, a happily ever after. Everyone loves that. Even the toughest man in the room at one point in his life was a sucker for a fairy tale. Don't judge me, but my personal favorite is Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> this is a fairy tale that gives me a little bit of hope. Because this, <laughs> for real, for real, this, <laughs> despite how ugly and rough the beast was, he still was able to find his beauty, Belle. That gives me some hope. I already know I'm ugly. I know I'm rough, but I still have hope <laughs> that I'll find my bell and live happily ever after. But that's what we want, right? That's what we want. We, we all want our stories to end happily ever after. And the good news is for believers, it will. It will. We have a promise in the Bible that guarantees our story will end happily ever after, after but that doesn't mean that the road to happily ever after will be without some trials and tribulations. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So yes, the promise of Romans 8.28 is that all things will work together for our good, but let's dissect this verse to see what the good really is. Paul, Paul begins the verse by saying, and we know. And we know those first three words right there, Paul is establishing for us that there is a group that doesn't know. And we know who that group is. It's the world. It's the world. It is those who have rejected our Savior, Jesus Christ. They simply don't know. That's why when we, when we try to have spiritual conversations with family members or with friends who reject Jesus Christ, it's almost like everything is going right over their heads. That's because it is. They don't know. They don't know how God can change someone's entire life. They don't know how the Bible is a living book with every answer to every question we will ever have. They don't know about the battle that is occurring right now for their very soul. But we do. We know. But there may be some people in here this morning, despite the fact that you are at the all church retreat, you may not know. You see, I used to be that person. I won't go into full detail, but I was raised in the church, great-grandfather, grandfather, father, all preachers. Sunday morning, bam, I'm there. Sunday evening, I'm there. Wednesday evening, I'm there. Revivals, I'm there. Vacation Bible schools, I'm there. Conferences, I'm, I was at all that stuff, yet I didn't know. You see, I had a religion not a relationship. That's what Pastor Godfrey talked about yesterday. I was a hypocrite. I thought I knew, but I had no idea. So, so in our encounters or in our interactions with these people, let's not get frustrated. 
Let's not get flustered because at that moment in their life, they simply don't know. But the group of people who do know all things work together for good are those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. And so your next blank is for believers. We can be certain about the things we do know, even when we are uncertain about the things we don't know. It's, it's a very, very intense dynamic for us to be living in a state of not knowing while at the same time living in a state of knowing that it's going to work together for our good. The, the year is, is, is 1983 and my mom's sister uh, is pregnant with triplets. And to my ladies in the room who've ever bared children, you guys know if you're carrying three human beings in your stomach, it's going to be pretty big. And so she's pregnant with triplets, and um, bang, stomach is huge. Five years later, 1988, uh, my mom becomes pregnant, and as her pregnancy is is progressing and and things are moving along, her stomach is getting bigger and bigger to the point where they're like, Carol, that's my mom's name, Carol, are you having triplets? Like, your stomach is getting pretty big, because they already were able to match up my mom's stomach to my, my auntie's stomach in 1983, like, Carol, like, what's going on? Unfortunately, it was just me and my mom's stomach. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't three babies, it was just me, man. It, it was just me. But see, what was happening was that 13 years later, my mom would be diagnosed with multiple sclerosis that would get progressively worse. So she went from holding on to my arm to a walker to a wheelchair, to the point where now she's bedridden. No, no use of her limbs. And so what God was doing in 1988, he was molding and shaping a 6'9", 250-pound baby that will one day have to physically transfer his mom from bed to chair or from chair to car. You see, my mom had no idea what was in store. We had no idea what was in store, but God did. And he was making provisions for what was going to happen 13 years prior for when it happened. A lot of times when when I tell that story that people get sad, and I I don't tell that for you to get sad. I tell you so you can be encouraged. You see, because there's a blessing in every storm. There's a blessing in every, there is good in every situation. We just have to find it. David said in Psalm 119, verse 71, he said, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. You see, my mom's affliction has been good for us because it drew us closer together as a family. But more importantly, it grew us closer to God. And so your next blank is we know that God is going to work all things together for our good, but we don't always know how. We don't always know how. But but what can sometimes transpire with with that mentality of God working all things together for our good is is we can develop a a messed up thinking. In other words, we we do whatever we want to do. We live however we want to live because we know God is going to work all things together for our good. So I'll I'll just go out here and I'll make a bunch of foolish decisions. God will work it out. Mm, Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Your next blank. Every single one of our choices still have consequences. 
they still have consequences. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So be very careful with the decisions that we make. But, but even in that present reality, just think about how great our God is because he is constantly at work in our lives to take our situations and circumstances based off of the bad decisions that we make and yet flip them, turn them and reverse them to make them work out for our good. So what's the good? What is the good? Is God a genie in the bottle where we get an unlimited amount of wishes and, and he does whatever we say? Is the good all the worldly riches that can be acquired in this world? What's the good? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Because your next blank is the good is that we are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the good. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, Paul says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So in every situation that occurs in our life, God is either putting something in us or taking something out of us that will ultimately make us more like him. That's the good. That's the good. Now, does he allow us to have some wants in the process of that? Yes. But that's not the ultimate good he is trying to achieve in our life. He's not necessarily interested in, in us attaining worldly riches. He, he doesn't care about the car, the crib, or the clothes. He's interested in us looking more and more like his son. So all things are working together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And now the question becomes, okay, how do I know when or if I love God? You see, it's difficult to tell when everything is going right in your life. Kids are behaving, got a little money in the bank, no issues on the job. You see, at those times, it's difficult to tell if you love God because everything is right in your life. How do you really know you love God, not because of what he does for you, but simply because of who he is? How do you know? The Bible tells us how we can know. John chapter 14, verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. John chapter 14, verse 21, verse, verses 21 through 24, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest, manifest myself to him. And Judah saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me, he that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the word which he hear is not mine, but the father's which sent me. And so that's how you know if you love God, if you obey his commandments. You see, we're the best at lip service. We're the best. 
Even in my own life, I can, I can say I love my dad all day. Love you, dad. Easy. Easy. But if I never do anything he asks me to do, I'm communicating more through my actions towards him than my lips ever could. The saying goes, what, what you do speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you're saying. Anyone can say anything. What we do is what matters. Matthew chapter 21, uh, 28 through 31, it says, A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. Verse 29, he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father, and they say unto him, The first. And so our obedience to God is going to truly show him whether or not we love him. And then you ask, okay, well, what are his commandments? We, we know Jesus isn't talking about the Ten Commandments here because we're living in the church age. So, so, so what are the commandments he has left for us? Again, not an unfamiliar question. It's been asked before. They asked him the same thing in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, where it says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so your next blank is that we know we love God by whether or not we are following his commandments, and his commandments are to love him and to love people. That's it. Love him and love people. And we may think we're doing a solid job of this, but I wonder what he thinks when he looks down on us. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes the second commandment of loving people is a tad bit harder than it is to love God. Sometimes it's difficult to love people. People can be, yeah, yeah, people. It's not too difficult to love God because, because we can know and trust that he has our best interests at heart. But that's not always the case with people. Sometimes they don't have your best interests at heart, yet we are still commanded to love them, and by your loving them, that is how you can tell you love God, and that's how you show that you are truly a disciple of God. John chapter 13, verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So just ask yourself, are you, are you loving God with, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and is it evident by the way that you're loving people? 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, it says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. So pay attention to how you love others and pay attention to how you respond in adversity. When everything doesn't always go your way, how do you respond? Do you pout? Do you complain to God? What God is asking of us is not difficult. If it was, he wouldn't ask us to do it. 
He tells us his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so whatever he asks of us, he has already put inside of us to accomplish it. Okay, so what is it that we know? Okay, we know that all things work together for good. Most of you in the room are familiar with with Mark Trotter, my my spiritual father, and I remember he took me to the Greek, and so we could get a deeper understanding of what those words, all things, meant. What does all things mean? And I I believe Pastor Shelby would would, would quote it like this, I knew I couldn't be no lazy preacher. (laughs) Is that how you say it? I knew I couldn't be no lazy preacher, so I had to I had to go to the Greek and see what does all there got to be a deeper meaning of of all things. And, and what I discovered was that all things means all things. <laughs> all things means all things. All things work together for good. Debt will work together for your good. Desertion will work together for your good. If friends want to leave you because of your relationship with Christ, let them leave you. It'll work together for your good. If family wants to leave you because of your relationship with Christ, let them leave you. It will work together for your good. Divorce will work together for your good. Disease will work together for your good. I can speak from experience on that one. Disability will work together for your good. Even death will work together for your good. Uh, I believe every single one of those things I just mentioned fall into the category of all things, but notice none of them are what we would consider to be good. Yet God still works them together for our good. You see, we can say like Joseph said to his brother in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. The things the world and the devil may have planned against us for evil, God will work it out for our good. And so your next blank is even when we can't understand why we are going through what we're going through, we can know that it will work together for our good. You see, we serve the same God who said to Israel in Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 6, and, 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 and Dan, don't get mad at me, I identified the audience, it's Israel that he's talking to, but yet we can still apply it to us, right? We can, that's all right. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 6, it says, for I will set mine eyes upon them for good. And so that's what he does for us, and that's how he causes everything to work together for our good. We got to believe that. We have to believe that. We have to believe that even while we are in the middle of the storm, it's going to work together for our good. It may not work together for what we will call good, but it's going to work together for our good. Yes, Romans 8.28 is one of the most incredible promises in the Bible, but we have to understand that God is going to make sure that our circumstances work out according to his will. You see, it's according to his purpose, not ours. And so this lets us know that this thing that we call life has never been about us. It's never been about us. It's not about our wants or our desires. It's according to his own purpose. Even in Jesus' life in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. 
You see, what he knew he had to go through couldn't have possibly be seen as good from our perspective, but Jesus was looking so far past that. He was able to see the ultimate good that would come from his suffering. He was able to look past his suffering because he saw us. He saw us. And so the good in Romans 8.28 is God's idea of good, not necessarily ours. And we referenced Job earlier. Job didn't immediately see any good come out of the circumstances of chapters 1 and 2. And and then from chapters 2 through 37, it was nothing but accusations and persecutions being thrown at him from his own family and friends. Be be cognizant of who's around you during the time of your storm. Pay attention to that. Sometimes the last people who you think will make the situation worse are the very ones who do. His own wife told him to curse God and die. And in Job chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. She, she, she must have missed that, that whole for, for better or for worse part of the, the marriage vow. She, she, she missed that part. But, but Job doesn't see God's purpose for his trials until the Lord shows up and puts him in his place. You see, you can see all about that in Job chapters 38 through 41, where God literally tells him to gird up his loins like a man, because what God begins to unleash on him are a series of unanswerable questions after Job has questioned God. And so we got to be very, very careful and make sure that we're deciphering between asking questions of God and questioning God. We're not to be questioning God with anything that we ever go through in this life. We we shouldn't be questioning the one who says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I believe it's okay to ask questions of God, like, Okay, God, what is it that you want me to learn from this? Or how can I grow through this situation? Or where can I be better? I think those are appropriate questions to ask of God. But questions such as, God, do you know what you're doing? Or asking in a disrespectful tone, God, what are you doing? Or or even, God, why me? That's even a tricky question because the appropriate answer is, why not you? See, it's at the moment that Job gives up his self-righteousness that things begin to get better in his life. But this doesn't happen until the end of the book. Job is not restored until God's purposes in him were accomplished. And so God got out of him what he needed to get out of him. And and he put in him what, what needed to be put in him. And it ultimately improved the man that Job was. And so through Job's affliction, he became closer to God. And again, Psalm 119, 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. So as we speak and, and, and as we claim this promise of Romans 8, 28, remember that God may not work out your circumstances the way you imagined them, the way you envisioned them, the way you planned them, or even the way you asked them to be worked out. But when he does work them out, the end result will be for your good. God's definition of good, though, not ours. You see, God doesn't operate according to our timetable. 
The hardest part for us is is waiting for our prayers to be answered or our circumstances to be resolved. And one of the most challenging verses for us as believers is Psalm 46, verse 10, where it says, be still and know that I am God. That's tough for us because we're always in a hurry, right? We're always in a hurry. Got to get here. Got to get from point A to point B. Got to then go from point B to point. We're always in a hurry, but God's not. When we learn to slow down and, and wait on God, we gain strength and, and the right perspective. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And so God is operating off of his knowledge of our past, present, and future because he is in all three at the same time. You see, we only operate off of our past and present. We, we don't have the knowledge of what our future is going to be, but God does. Do you think my mom had any idea what her life would look like? Absolutely not. But see, her pregnancy was what it was because God knew what her future was. And so he is allowing us to go through some stuff based off of what he knows is going to happen down the line in our lives. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. We can look back on certain situations and we can understand why we went through them and how we benefited from going through them, but there was no way we fully understood it while we were going through it. We can look back and be grateful for what we went through in the past because it gave us the confidence to know that we can get through the present and future storms. God sees what we're currently going through now and where we will be five months from now all at the same time. And he is working in conjunction with our free will to make things work out for our good. That means every millisecond of a millisecond, God is at work in each and every one of our lives. How incredible is that? But here's what we do. Here's what we do. We, we, we tend to isolate situations that occur in our lives while we're going through them. We, we section them off. And I can remember when, when I was younger around the holidays, all of my aunties would decide what they would be bringing to my grandmother's house for, for Christmas or Thanksgiving dinners, my favorite time of the year. Every time had a dish. Everybody had a dish. And for my mom, hers happened to be cheesecake. So uh, she would be preparing, and, and preparing to make it. This is before she got sick, obviously. I, I would always be in the kitchen, probably doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing. But in the midst of that, I would be watching her. I would be paying attention to her. I can remember as she, as she began to prep, she would, she would have the, the, the eggs right here and, and she would place the, the butter right here and, and she would place the cream cheese and the sour cream. And if, if y'all are trying to learn how to make some cheesecake, I just gave you the ingredients. You got a little butter and, and you got all that. Add some sugar too. Put some sugar in there. You don't want to just all that stuff. But, but, but she would have everything measured out. And she would set it out so it could get room temperature and I would watch as she would pour everything into the mixing bowl. She would crack the eggs and and put those into the mixing bowl and then she would add the sour cream and and the cream cheese and, and the butter one by one all into the mixing bowl. 
And so I thought about this as I was preparing for ACR, All Church Retreat, and I wondered to myself, how crazy would it have been if I just took a stick of butter and just bit into it? Whole stick of butter, just bit into it. Or or what if I cut a a block of cream cheese off and just started eating it plain? What if I took a spoonful of, of sour cream and just ate it? That would be absolutely insane and beyond unhealthy. (laughs) Dr. Best would not be happy with that. (laughs) You see, individually, eating those items are disgusting. But do you know that this is sometimes how we approach the different situations of our life? You see, we isolate them. And we put all of our focus and all of our energy into that one situation, forgetting that that situation is in the mixing bowl of our life. You see, just like the butter, the sour cream, the the cream cheese, and all the other ingredients, when mixed together, they form a great filling for cheesecake, so do the events of our life. We can't look at one situation like it's that stick of butter and assume that that, that's the end-all, be-all of our life. We got to allow God to work that thing together in the mixing bowl of our lives. The situation that we're going through is just one ingredient. Don't overreact. Don't panic. Just let him work it out because what will happen is that 5, 10, 20 years from now, we'll be able to look back on that situation and understand why you went through what you went through. It was to prepare you for the next situation. It was to strengthen your faith in knowing that God brought you through one thing. He can surely bring you through the next thing. So your next blank, don't, don't make a final judgment on your life while the matter is still in process. Don't make a final judgment on your life while the matter is still in process. God will strategically allow some situations to occur in our lives that will develop spiritual areas that we may be lacking. If we're in a situation where we have to use patience, he's clearly developing patience in our life, which in turn will make us more like him. James chapter one, verses three and four, he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect, which means complete and entire, wanting nothing. Or if we're in a situation where we need to display long suffering, he is developing long suffering in us, which will make us more like him because we already know he's long suffering. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So sometimes God allows things to occur to draw us closer to him. Things happen in our life where where we are left with nothing else but to say, God, I need you. In in my mom's situation, there, there is literally nothing I can do except trust God. There's nothing I can do. And I'm a mama's boy. I'm a mama's boy to the fullest. I'm not ashamed to admit that. I love my mommy. But when you're in a situation where you watch her suffer, that's tough. That's tough. And I'm a fix-it guy, right? I, 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 man, I'm, man, 
how can we get it done? How can we, how can we fix this? Whatever the issue is, I don't, I don't care how it happened. I don't, I'm not interested in the details. Let's just fix it. My dad's like that too, but we have been placed in a situation where we can't fix it. And so all we can do is trust God. All we can do is say, God, I need you. That's what my mom's illness has left us saying. God, we need you. But I wonder if the affliction was never there, will we still be saying, God, I need you? Will we still be saying that? Even Paul experienced this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. And he says, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. You see, Paul got to the point where he could boast in his afflictions. Why? It was because he understood that next blank, God is able to be stronger in our lives when we become weaker. He's able to be stronger in our lives when we become weaker. Paul's affliction kept him where he needed to be from a humility standpoint. He felt the same way as John the Baptist in John chapter 3, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. But yet and still in 2 Corinthians, we see the thorn was not removed from Paul. And we need to understand that just because the thorn was not removed does not mean the prayer was not answered. The thorn stain gave Paul a clearer understanding for why it was there. Our ultimate prayer and God's ultimate purpose for us is to be more like Jesus Christ on this earth. We, we want to shine his light on this earth. We want God to get the ultimate glory out of our life in whatever way he has to do that. Our prayer is that God allows our light to shine so that people see our good works and glorify him, not us. So remember the promise, all things work together for your good. Your next blank, God has two purposes in his plan for our good and for his glory. The ultimate goal is us being made more like Jesus Christ in everything we'll ever go through. God is either putting something in us or he's taking something out of us to make us more like him. He predetermined that one day this group of people called the church will be conformed to the image of his son. Romans chapter eight, verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This is why Paul was able to glory in his tribulations, because he knew what it was producing in him. This is why he was able to call his afflictions light. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 17, he says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He knew what the afflictions were producing in him. He says in Romans chapter eight, verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul knew that his sufferings were making him more like Christ. That's God's main goal. He wants us, he wants to make us more and more like him on this earth until we get our glorified bodies in heaven. The process of sanctification is occurring right now, but it's not complete. First John chapter three, verse two, he says, beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. That hasn't happened yet, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Everything that we go through, it is so we can be made more like Christ on this earth. First Peter chapter five, verse 10, it says, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while. After you've gone through your affliction, after you've gone through your sufferings, is going to make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So just remember what you've gone through, what you're going through, what you will go through. It's all in the mixing bowl of life. God is working it together for your good according to his purpose. His purpose is that you will be conformed, not to the world, as Paul tells us in Romans 12, 2, but that you will be conformed to his image because it is in that place where he gets the most glory out of our lives. And so if you're in this room this morning or this afternoon and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the bad news is that none of what I just said applies to you. But the good news is that you can change that right now. You can change that right now. Even if you're sitting here thinking, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not worth it because, man, I've done this and that and this and I've done that. Understand you are worth it. You're worth it. God is simply asking you to trust him. Believe in his son, Jesus Christ, as the one and only sacrifice for your sins. And then you can be included in the and we know crowd. And so for the believers in the room, we, we can follow the directions of Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. But, but not just in everything, but also for everything. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? We give thanks because we know he's still sitting on the throne. We give thanks because we know he is still in charge and in total control. We give thanks because we know he has not forgot about us. We give thanks because we know he loves us. And lastly, we give thanks because we know he is working all things together for our good and for his glory. Our circumstances are all in the mixing bowl of life in every situation. In everything that you go through, don't isolate it. Don't isolate it. Let God either take out of you what he needs to take out of you or let him put in you what he needs to put in you with the ultimate purpose of being conformed to his image. He'll get the glory and you'll get the good. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for just, just this being one of the 
incredible promises that are, that are in your word. And God, help this to even be a transformative day about how we look at our different situations, God, how we look at storms, how we look at our afflictions, how we look at our persecutions, and help us to understand that you are working in the middle of them. You are working in the midst of them. You're always at work, God. And so we thank you. We thank you for this time. I thank you for the, the people sitting in this crowd. I thank you for the people watching online, God. And I pray that your word, this word, finds a resting place in all of our hearts. God, and even for the people who may be in this room and they don't, they don't, know, they don't know what it means to have a relationship with you. They don't know what it means to be in relationship with you. God, simply give them the courage to say yes first. Say yes to you. Whatever it is, say yes to you. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.